Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. How many of you have ever tried to do one of those read-through-the-Bible-in-a-year plans? Anybody ever tried that? You know, it's a hard thing to do because you start out in Genesis. Genesis is pretty good because you have all the exciting stories. Exodus is pretty exciting because you have more stories, more good stuff. And then you come into this book called Leviticus. And Leviticus talks about sacrifices. We don't offer uh, a priesthood that no longer exists and a bunch of Old Testament laws that we no longer obey and like the Bible in a year plan comes to a screeching halt when you hit Leviticus. It's really hard to plow through this book. Because the book of Leviticus is a very difficult book. It is a very challenging book. And it feels like it doesn't have much to do with our everyday life. But the book of Leviticus is actually a very important book. In fact, uh, the, the we find is in the New Testament, all over the place, it is quoting from the book of Leviticus, oftentimes in little subtle ways, ways we didn't expect, and sometimes in rather explicit ways. Like when Jesus talked about love your neighbor as yourself, He was just quoting from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, just quoting from the book of Leviticus. When Paul talked about sexual ethics and was right and what was wrong with the Corinthians, he was quoting from Leviticus chapter 18, just, just bringing it right out of the Scripture. So the book of Leviticus actually is a book that strongly colors the New Testament in ways that we didn't expect. To give you an idea about how important Leviticus is, you need to know that when rabbis typically taught their students, and they taught their students Hebrew, the standard practice of rabbis for hundreds of years is they would make their students memorize the entire book of Leviticus in Hebrew. Because they said it is the one book you don't want to forget. Now, as Christians, it's the one book that we don't know. It's the one book that we've often avoided. It's the one book you never hear sermons on. The practice has been around Crosswinds Church that when we come to this time of Advent in preparation for Christmas, a number of years ago I started just deciding to preach Christ from different books of the Bible. Like we looked at for the Advent season at one time Christ from the book of Revelation, and we called it Christmas from the book of Revelation. We looked at Christmas from the, the book of Daniel. We've looked at Christmas from the book of Psalms. We've gone all different places. And as I was thinking about and praying about where to preach Christ from, in some of my studies I had this sort of crazy idea, why don't we preach Christmas from the book of Leviticus? The book that we've all avoided, the book that we don't know, but the book that at least the rabbis thought was so important for people to know if they were to follow God. What we discover in the book of Leviticus is the first seven chapters of the book talk about five important offerings that God's people in the Old Testament were to offer. And as I studied these offerings, I learned that every single one of these offerings points to Jesus. 
Every single one of these offerings is fulfilled by Jesus. What Jesus came at Christmas to do was to fulfill these five offerings in the front end of Leviticus. And I thought that fits perfectly for Advent season. For the five weeks leading up to Christmas, why don't we go through these five offerings, the first seven chapters, and see how they point to Jesus Christ and see how Jesus Christ fulfills it. And so that's our plan. For, for the next uh, five weeks, we look at these offerings. Let me just give you an overview of how things are going to go for this morning, and then I'm going to offer a little prayer to God. This morning, we're going to do this. First, I'm going to begin with an overview of the book of Leviticus so you understand how it's put together. Secondly, I'll give you an overview of these five offerings to tell you what they are and a little bit how they group together. Then we are going to jump into the first of these offerings called the burnt offering. And I'm going to explain it to you. And along the way, I'm going to show you how it points to Christ and it is fulfilled by Christ. And then at the end... I'm just going to give you one practical point of application for the week to take away. You guys think that's good? Okay, let's pray and then we'll jump in. Dear Jesus, we come before you as we begin to look at the book of Leviticus. And I say this with great trembling, knowing that my, I feel my own studying is inadequate to, to necessarily even to teach on this book because it is so rich and it is so deep and uh, oftentimes ignored. So I ask that you would guard my mouth as I teach and that you would also at the same time open our hearts, that we would see Jesus Christ in a way we've never seen Him before in these next five weeks, and especially that we would see Him this morning. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. Uh, Leviticus, overview. What happens is when Israel comes out of Egypt... And we trace this through the book of Exodus. We learn it is about 10 weeks it takes them to leave Egypt and finally go and trek and end up at Mount Sinai. And they're at Mount Sinai where God gives them His laws and there's all kinds of exciting stuff going on at Mount Sinai. And what happens is the people sort of get organized around Mount Sinai. And on the one-year anniversary of them having left Egypt, Moses erects erects the tabernacle, that is the tent uh, of, of meeting there. And we find out that that, ends on the, that takes place on the one-year anniversary of their exodus from Egypt. Then that's where exodus closes. Then you go to the book of Leviticus, and then you go to the book of Numbers. And the book of Numbers actually starts on the second year of their um, exodus from Egypt, on the second month. So there's a one-year like intervening time from the close of Exodus to the beginning of Numbers. And in that one-month time, this book of Leviticus was written. It's a short amount of time. One month to go from pen to publishing. How could Moses do it in that short amount of time? We'll find out in a moment. How is the book of Leviticus organized? The book of Leviticus, while it is a challenging book, it's organized very simply. The first 16 chapters talk about proper worship. How do we come to God and worship Him in such a way that we can approach Him and have our sin covered? How to worship God. 
the rest of the book, verses 17 to 27, talks about how do I live for God. It's practical, everyday life. Like, how do I worship God and cover my sin in the front half? And then how do I live for God and avoid sin in the second half? Just real practical stuff as we go through living. And who wrote the book of Leviticus? I gave that away a little bit for you. I believe it's Moses. And I think I stand on pretty good grounds. Fifty-six times in the book, it says, God said to Moses, God spoke to Moses. That seems to be pretty repeatable. Then when you come to the New Testament, Jesus says the books of the law were written by Moses. And if Jesus says that these books, these, the Pentateuch, the first five books were written by Moses, I'm going to go with Jesus every time. I mean, if I can trust Him for my eternal salvation, I can trust Him on the authorship of this book. That's a simple way to go with it. But um, I told you earlier, this book was written in one month. And my first thought was, man, Moses, you are one prolific author. One month from pen to publish on this book. And then I start reading the book of Leviticus, and I find out that a lot of this book is God speaking directly to Moses, telling him what he's supposed to write. This is a, a lot of this is just like direct, like do this, say this, say this. So it's like it sort of helps with the short publishing time, doesn't it? <laughs> when it's just directly given by God. The other thing to know is the book of Leviticus, it's not just a bunch of obscure, weird rules and regulations. Because isn't that normally how these kind of things strike us? The book of Leviticus is a gospel book. It's a good news book. Here's the situation. Man is separated from God. You know, we were supposed to be in a relationship with God back in the Garden of Eden. We learned about that in Genesis, and sin has separated us from God, and we don't have this relationship. Now, God has pulled His people out of Egypt, and He's bringing them back into a relationship with Himself. And in the book of Leviticus, He says, here is an, a, a system, a worship way to be able to cover your sin so we can be able to meet together once again. So a measure of the Garden of Eden can be restored and we can be back in a relationship with God. That's what all these rules of worship and sacrifices and atonements are for. To bring people back to God because God loves us and God wants to have a relationship with us. That's the spirit of the book of Leviticus. Now, that's the overview of the book I wanted to give you. Now, let's get into the specific offerings in the first seven chapters. Let me tell you what they are. There's five of them, and they break into three groups. The first two talk about dedication to God, or people being brought into a relationship with God. They are the burnt offering that we're going to look at this morning, and the grain offering that we're going to look at next week. The middle one talks about communion with God. And now that you're in a relationship with God, how do you relate with Him on a daily basis? Sometimes this is called the fellowship offering. Other times you'll see it called the peace offering. So once you're in a relationship with God, how do you have communion with God? And then what happens as we go along in life? We mess up, right? We sin. And what happens is the next set of offerings have to do with cleansing from God. 
They're called the sin offering and the guilt offering. So you can see sort of the Christian life. It's sort of laid out right here in these offerings. There's the dedication to God offerings, coming into a relationship with Him, then having fellowship with Him, and then being cleansed of our sin and being brought back into a relationship with Him when we sin and when we screw up. So you can see how this all comes together. Now, let's just jump into this first offering. And I'm just going to tell you, by the way, that some of this is, is difficult. There's a reason that a lot of people don't preach from the book of Leviticus. It's hard. So stick with me on this. And I can tell you, by the way, that as we will go through these offerings in the future weeks, it'll get better, it'll get richer, and it'll get more significant and impactful for your life. So let's start off with the first one, the burnt offering. What is the burnt offering about? The burnt offering was a way that people expressed their total dedication to God. They expressed their total dedication to God, and it was a way also to have their sin covered. Dedicating yourself to God, having your sin covered, and being brought back into a relationship with God. That's what this offering is about. Now, this offering is about general sinfulness, not specific sinfulness. If you can think of the specific sin that you need to confess to God and be forgiven of, that actually falls under the sin offering, which comes later. This is talking about just general sinfulness, just general irritableness, just I'm a selfish person, that I'm a prideful person, that even though I try not to be, I find myself slipping into those selfish, prideful things. I'm a generally sinful person that is separated from God, and I have to have my sin atoned for. So this morning... If you are a person who's sitting here, you know what? I'm sitting here in clean conscience. I can't think of anything I did this week that was really heinous and bad and, and needs to be confessed. That's nice. You're still sinful. I'm still sinful. We still need to have a sacrifice that covers our sin to bring us into a relationship with God. That's the burnt offering. That's what it's there for. Now, this is where it's going to get a little difficult for us. The burnt offering in Scripture is offered sometimes on a personal basis. That's Leviticus chapter 1 that we're going to study in a moment. But also, when you start bringing your finger through the text, you find the burnt offering is, often, burnt offering is offered frequently on a corporate basis, like a nationwide kind of a thing. Think of it this way. We're part of America. As Americans, uh, we have collective guilt of our country. Even though we didn't necessarily do anything to make a sinful choice, our leaders may have made a sinful choice, and we have to bear the consequences of it. We're responsible for it. For instance, our, our country changed the health care plan. And guess what? You didn't vote for it, but did it change your life? Just mine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our health care costs went up, right? Everybody says amen on that one. In another sense, if our country goes to war, we may not have personally chosen to go to war, but guess what? We all have to bear the consequences of those choices. 
So when national Israel was thinking about things and dealing with things, they said, you know, we have national guilt. We have national sin. We need to nationally dedicate ourselves and collectively dedicate ourselves to God. And collectively, we have to have our sin covered as a nation, as a people. And so you find the burnt offering being offered all the time to take care of this sin, collective sin. Give you an idea of how often it is offered. It was offered every morning and every evening. Then on the Sabbath day, it was like doubled. It was like two animals in the morning and two animals in the evening. And anytime you can think of a holiday, any holiday in the Jewish calendar, it seems like they're offering burnt offerings. Oh, first day of the month. Hey, that sounds like a holiday. We better offer extra burnt offerings then to cover our sin. Uh, and, the, and Passover, oh, new moon, we have to offer, we have to offer more burnt offerings then. Uh, Feast of weeks, we have after more burnt offerings then. It's like all over the place. These guys are slaughtering animals and burning them to de- rededicate themselves to God and to have their sinfulness covered because they're so painfully aware what a sinful people they are. I'll give you an example of how frequently things are offered. Uh, you look at the Feast of Booths, which is one of their holidays, it almost sounds like you're singing the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. You know that song where they sort of count down, you know, four calling birds, three French hens, two turtles? It's like that, but it's sacrificial offerings. On the first day of the Feast of Booth, what do they offer? Twelve bulls burned fully on the altar, plus two rams, plus 14 male lambs. Second day, they count down, 11 bulls burned on the altar, plus two rams, plus 14 male lambs. Next day, 10 bulls. They count down all week long, rededicating themselves to God and having God to, asking God to, to cover their sin. So you see this burnt offering offered all the time in a corporate basis. Sometimes it wasn't just a matter of rededication to the Lord and covering sin. Sometimes it was actually done as a matter of celebration and rededication to the Lord. An example of that would be when um, the ark had gone into Philistine territory. And you remember it was in front of the god of Dagon, which is the Philistines' god, and God starts whacking the god. It keeps falling over and falling in pieces. And the, finally the Philistines say, we're going to get rid of this thing. They put the ark on a cart and put two oxen, and the oxen like walk it back to Israel's territory. And what is the reaction that people do at that point? They take the ark off of the cart, they break the ark up into pieces of wood, they slaughter the oxen and give them up as whole burnt offerings, this very sacrifice, to rededicate themselves to the Lord and celebrate God's goodness at bringing His ark home. Incidentally, the burnt offering is also the oldest form of worship, the oldest type of offering. We first see it in... Noah, remember when Noah got off the ark? What did he offer? Parts of the clean animals as complete, whole, burnt offerings. Moses, even before he uh, went to Mount Sinai, God told him to tell Pharaoh, hey, we need to go out, the men need to go out into the wilderness, we need to offer sacrifices to our God, and we need to bring our cattle with us to offer them as burnt offerings offerings. Remember, Pharaoh goes, no way, you're not going to leave town, and thus begins the plagues and everything. 
But here is Moses talking about burnt offerings before God has regulated it here at Mount Sinai. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, talks about offering burnt offerings. And when you, what happens is when we get to Leviticus, God takes this ancient form of worship, burnt offerings, and He formalizes it, and He regulates it, and He structures it on how you were to offer it. But Leviticus chapter 1 is interesting because it is not necessarily talking about corporate worship. It's talking about personal worship. See, in ancient Israel, this is what happened. Let me analogize this to today. Say you're growing up as a teenager. You go to church with your parents, right? And you sort of go along with the program. You go to Crosswinds Kids as a kid. You go to Awana. But there has to come a point somewhere in your life where your faith has to move from your parents' faith that you were just along on the ride with to your own faith, where you dedicate yourself completely and wholly to God. And you have asked God to cover your sin and to bring yourself into a relationship with Him. There has to come a time. Now, in our culture, this oftentimes happens that the kids go to summer camp or the kids go to vacation Bible school, and this is sort of what happens. But in this culture, it happened differently. What happened is you got to sort of an age where you made that choice, and you went off into your field. You went off into your animals, and you took either one of your bulls, your lambs, your goats, or if you were really poor, some, some birds, and you brought those to the tabernacle or the temple, whatever you want to call it right now, and you offered them up as whole burnt offerings to God. It's a way to dedicate yourself to God and a way to have your sin covered by the death of that animal. And that, the death of that animal and the blood of that animal covered your sin and brought you back into the relationship with God. That's the way it was done. So if you think about this, what makes it interesting is the way people dedicated themselves to God in the Old Testament isn't it amazingly similar to the way we dedicate ourselves to God today in New Testament times? There needs to be a sacrifice to cover the sin. <laughs> and from there we move forward. By the way, this sacrifice, as we'll see in a moment, had to be a costly sacrifice. It had to cost you something. You could not go find a piece of roadkill that somebody hit on the road and then drag it into the temple and say, guess what? I found this roadkill. Uh, let's use it for my uh, burnt offering. Does not count. It had a, and also, nobody else could do it for you. Like, you couldn't say, hey, I sent Uncle Frank over to the temple and the, or the tabernacle and he is offering a burnt offering in my place. No, you had to do it yourself, and it had to cost you. And if it didn't cost you, and if you didn't do it yourself, it didn't count. Because it was your choice to dedicate yourself to the Lord. Let me show you how David understands this. Remember this famous passage in 2 Samuel 24, 24? But the king said to Aruna, No, 
I will buy it from you for a price. I'm not going to get this as a freebie. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that cost me nothing, because it doesn't count. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Just like when we come to Christ today, <laughs> it has to be our choice, and we have to make the choice, and it has to cost us something. Now let's go ahead and begin to look at this sacrifice, how it's offered. He says this, If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, it shall be, he shall offer a male without blemish, and he shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement. Let me just break this apart and walk you through this. First thing he says, if you're going to do this burnt offering, the sacrifice that's going to cover your sin and dedicate yourself to the Lord, the one you have to bring is a male and by the way, we're going to remember there's three different ones. There's a, one of the bull, there's one of the flock, and one of the birds. The idea is that anybody can come to God, but it's also based on your economic circumstance of what you offer because it has to be costly for you, but not out of your financial reach. That's the point. And he says, you have to say, say it's a bull. It has to be a male bull. Why a male? It's not that... Uh, the females, by the way, are actually quite valuable because the females give you milk for your breakfast cereal. That's what the cows do. The females actually gave you more cattle because they gave birth. But the male was sort of like your stud bull. It was the one that was over the herd. It was the one that represented the herd. That is the one you have to sacrifice, the valuable stud bull. <laughs> and then he says this, it has to be a perfect animal. You go into the book of um, Leviticus further, and this is what it describes the animal must be like. It can't have any birth defects. It can't have any sores on it. It can't have any blemishes on it. It can't even have warts on it. And a number of you are, are going right now, oh, gosh darn, I guess that disqualifies me. <laughs> you know, this thing had to be absolutely perfect. And here's where it gets interesting. Why does it have to be perfect? Because in a moment we'll see that this bull in the Old Testament pointed forward to and represented Jesus Christ in what He came to do in the New Testament. That Jesus Christ was the perfect, costly sacrifice that died to cover our sin. Now, it's very clear because he says, when you offer this sacrifice, you will be accepted before the Lord. You'll be, it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. What does atonement mean? Atonement can really be under, just explained by just breaking the word apart. At one meant. Atonement means taking two parties that have been separated and broken apart and bringing them back into relationship together. That when 
a worshiper came along and they offered this bull. They dedicated themselves to the Lord. This death of this animal, which is a complete death of this animal, dedicated to the Lord, is what covered their sin, at least temporarily, and restored the relationship with God they were designed for. And I told you, this bull points to Jesus Christ. Because the burnt offering is often called uh, the sacrifice of atonement. What happens when you turn to the New Testament? Romans chapter 3, verse 25. It says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. That means a burnt offering. Through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith, He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. You see, Jesus is the one true sacrifice of atonement. All these bulls and, and, and goats and sheep and birds, when they were offered as a burnt offering, a sacrifice of atonement, they simply temporarily covered the sin. They didn't remove the sin. When Jesus Christ came along, His death didn't cover sin. His death actually paid for our sin and took it away once and for all. And His death didn't just pay for our sin, but it paid for all those who in the Old Testament offered this burnt offering, who wanted their sins covered. They were looking forward to and hoping for Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. And He covered their sin. Now, the other thing to remember is this. You saw that this burnt offering was offered again and again and again, like multiple times a day, because this covering of this sin, this dedication to God, was never actually enough to take care of any of it. But what about Jesus Christ? Does He have to be offered again and again and again? Absolutely not. Hebrews chapter 10, 4 through 10 says this, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Referring back to Leviticus. Consequently, when Christ came into this world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you prepared for Me. In burnt offerings, that's what we're talking about today, that's for general sin. And in sin offerings, which is what we're talking about later on in the series, which talks about specific sins, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he said, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and in burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, that's Leviticus. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. This is the Old Testament, Levitical laws and offerings. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You see, 
this burnt offering that we're about ready to look at. It was the bull that was completely consumed because it represented someone who was completely dedicating their life to the Lord, and this bull needed to be completely consumed, and its death covered the sin. But Jesus, His death paid for sin, and He doesn't have to be re-offered all day long, once and for all. See how they connect? Now, let's walk through the way this offering was done. This is a bloody, this is a gruesome offering. But when we walk through it, I think it will be very helpful for us to understand it. I told you there's three different ways that this was offered, depending on your financial level, whatever was costly for you. The top one is the bull, which, by the way, I did a little bit of research on this. I, guys, I am not farmers. You guys are farmers. All I have is Google. So if you need to correct me after the sermon, that's fine. Google says that a bull like this today would run between $3,500 to $7,000. $7,000. This is a costly offering. To dedicate yourself to the Lord, drop seven grand. Obviously, it's big. Let's go ahead and read this. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bull before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offerings and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons the priest shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But its entrails, its legs, he shall wash with water. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering to the Lord, a food offering. And notice this, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Picture this. The guy is bringing his bull. Bulls, male bulls run approximately 2,500 pounds. It's a big animal. Bringing this thing to the Lord, and he says, I'm going to dedicate all of this to you. And he puts his hand on the head of the bull. And literally the words here say that he doesn't just touch it like this with one finger. He presses the head down because he wants to completely identify with this bull. And it doesn't say it here in Leviticus, but rabbinic tradition says that at this point, the man or the woman who was doing this would confess their sinfulness to God. Say, I am such a sinful person, generally sinful, just totally rebellious against you, and there is no way I can have a relationship with you unless my sin is covered. And this bull I'm giving, Lord, I'm asking you to accept it, to die in my place. Some of the rabbinical traditions talk about uh, a worshiper reciting either Psalm 40 or Psalm 51 or Psalm 62 at this point. And then he pulled the knife out from his side, put it around the neck of the bull, and he slit the throat. You can picture blood of this huge animal with every heartbeat just gushing out of the neck. Every heartbeat, it's everywhere. It's on the worshiper, it's on the floor, and the priest is there, and he has a bowl, and he's catching as much of his blood gushing out of the neck as he can. And then eventually the animal staggers, and it falls over on its side. 
And the priest has this bowl full of blood, which because the Old Testament says the life is in the blood, and the blood represented the life of the animal. And then he took and he brought this blood and he threw it on the sides of the altar in a way of saying that this animal in his life is now used to, and this blood is used to cover your sin, to pay for your life. Then the worshiper, it says, flayed the animal. What he did is he then took that knife that he had just slit the throat with and he began cutting up the animal. Think about this. Male bull, 2,500 pounds. Take some of the blood out. What do you want to do? Take 30, 40 pounds of blood out. You have 2,460 pounds of beef. That's a lot. Very costly. But remember, he's dedicating himself fully to the Lord. And piece by piece, he cuts it up. And he gives it to the priest. And the priest takes it. And he puts it on the altar. Every bit of this valuable animal is completely consumed and burnt up. It goes up in smoke. As this man or this woman dedicate themselves to the Lord and saying, I give you my all. Now, it gets interesting because you think, well, okay, that's sort of cool. You just have this big barbecue and it smells good. But think about this fire. This fire is very important and it's not an ordinary fire. It's a very special fire. Who lit it? It wasn't lit with matches. It was lit by God. On Mount, or Hebrews says that our God is a consuming fire. You read about Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. It talks about fire and billows and smoke on the top of Mount Sinai. And when you come down here, and later on in Leviticus, after everything was sort of established, who lit the first fire on the altar? God Himself. It says, and the fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offerings and all the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces, going like, oh my. The fire on the altar was lit by God because it represented God. And this is why that fire was kept burning continually. This is why they did the sacrifices morning and evening and kept stoking the fire because that was the same fire that God lit many years later. And that fire, when it consumed your sacrifice, that was the way of God saying He accepted your sacrifice. That bull had died to cover your sin and that you were completely dedicated to God. Incidentally, when you come down to Solomon's temple later on, we find the exact same thing, that God is the one who lit the fire. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Well, that's how it took place for those who were rich. But what about those who are middle class? Not everybody could afford a $3,500 to $7,000 bowl, even if they wanted it. In that case, they offered from the flock, from the goats or the lambs. It's very similar. Let me read through this. And if the gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or the goats, he shall bring a male without blemish, and he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. 
and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar, and he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat, and the priest shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall offer all of it and burn it on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering. And notice this once again, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. God smells this, that your sin is covered and you're brought into a relationship with Him. And He goes, I love that sin is covered. We're brought together again. What if you're poor? It goes this way. It's turtle doves and pigeons for the lower class, which, by the way, is the same sacrifice that Mary and Joseph offer at, at Jesus' birth, because this is their class. Offerings of turtle doves or pigeons, and the priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar, and he shall remove its crop and its contents and cast it beside the altar on the east side in the place for the ashes, and he shall tear it open by its wings, but he shall not sever it completely, and the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, with a what? Pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now, why is it a little different? I think there's a pretty easy explanation. An animal from the flock and a bull, that had a lot of blood. A bird does not have much blood in it. So the priest would wring off the head, and before he had a chance to lose any of the blood, pour it right on the altar, the side of the altar. Then it was once again brought back to the worshiper. And what did the worshiper have to do? Once again, prepare the offering, tear off the feathers, take off the gutting stuff. And then he would tear it as if flaying it like the other ones, but not completely. So it's still in one piece. And then it was offered on the altar. I want you to realize this. Coming to faith and trusting in God in the Old Testament was very similar to what we do in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, what did people do? They came to God and they dedicated themselves completely to Him. They looked for a sacrifice that would cover their sin. And it was only by the death of a perfect and costly for them sacrifice that their sin was ever covered. New Testament, same thing. The perfect and the costly sacrifice is Jesus. And it's by His death that our sins are covered and we're brought back into a relationship with God once again. The difference is the ones in the Old Testament, they only covered sin. Jesus pays for sin. The ones in the Old Testament had to be done again and again and again and again because they were imperfect. Jesus, once and for all, to cover the ones in the Old Testament who looked forward for Him and to cover us in the New Testament times who look back upon Him. Jesus is the true burnt offering that they looked forward to in the Old Testament. One other thing to notice here. The Bible is clear that the heart of the worshiper was more important than the offering. The heart of the worshiper was more important than the offering. Look what it says in Psalm 51. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. If you, would, you will not be pleased with a what? A burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. 
the idea is you could go through like the external sacrifices, you know, offer your burnt offering. But if you're offering your burnt offering and you're actually thinking about what your friend is putting on Snapchat at the time, and, and, and you're actually sort of distracted, and you're not really into it, but you're just going through it on the externals, did it actually count? What do you think? No. Because no. where was God looking the whole time? On the heart, on the inside. And the sacrifice of the cow or, or the, the bull or the flock or the birds, that was just picturing things on the outside. But God is examining the inside. Same with, with you. You may have uh, said, well, I, I look back on a date when I signed a commitment card to follow Jesus Christ. Or, or I raised my hand in a service to follow Jesus Christ. And as long as I've done that, I'm good. <laughs> God says, where's your heart? I'm looking at your heart, not your hand. And this is a good challenge for us. True worship is what's going on in our heart, not going, what's going on in our body. Just because you happen to be in a church at a certain time on a Sunday morning doesn't count as worship unless your heart is really seeking God. Because I know what it's like. Some people are sitting in the worship service and you're like, oh, I'm thinking about football on Sunday afternoon. Oh, I wonder if I just got a text message. Oh, maybe I can post a Snapchat. But your heart's not into worship. It doesn't count. God looks at the heart. Now, I decided I want to change things a little bit. I, I'm going to do a little something different for the way I end this message than what I have in your outlines. Here's what I want to do. I've talked to you about how this sacrifice points to Jesus Christ, and you've seen that. And I've talked to you how this sacrifice, just uh, Jesus fulfills it. But what can we do with it this week? How does this change our life? And what I want to do is I want to go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through chapter 5, verse 2. And I told you that this burnt offering sacrifice is hinted at and talked about all throughout the New Testament. I'm going to read this text, and I'll see if you can find where the burnt offering shows up. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all, all malice. Be kind to one another and tenderhearted. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This week is Thanksgiving. It's a great week. Oftentimes people have family and they have friends over the house. But when you have family and friends over the house, that's a good time. But it's also a time for sometimes where tempers flare. People say mean words, and you start to get grudges, and you start to get angry with each other, and all of a sudden you find that you're dealing with a slander, you're dealing with malice, you're dealing with hatred, you're dealing with backstabbing. And the Scriptures say, as Christians, don't be that way. Don't succumb to that. Be kind. Be tender-hearted. Be forgiving. 
be loving. Just like God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, has loved you and covered your sin, be like that to others. Love them. Cover their sin, even when they offend you and hurt you this week. And you know what's going to happen? As God looks down at your life, that you cover other sin like Jesus covered your sin, it's a pleasing offering to God. Just like the original burnt offering was, just like Jesus Christ is, and just like this week we can be as we cover the sins of others. This Christmas, as we start to look at Jesus Christ and what He came to do, the first thing we learn is He came to be the one true burnt offering of atonement. The offering that would cover all of our general sinfulness and the offering that when we dedicate ourselves to God with it brings us back into a relationship with Him. That is what Jesus Christ came to do to fulfill the burnt offering of Leviticus chapter 1. And the challenge God gives us is just as Jesus has covered our sins, this week, cover the sins of others. And each one of us be a fragrant offering to God. Dear Jesus, we come before you and we thank you so much for the book of Leviticus. We want to just confess that we have ignored it because it's tough. But we also want to thank you for it. Thank you for how it so richly colors the New Testament that we read. Thank you for how we see in it exactly what Jesus Christ came to do. Thank you, Jesus, for being that burnt offering that everyone in the Old Testament looks forward to, looked forward to, and for being that one sacrifice of atonement, the burnt offering that we look back on. And we deserve none of it. This week, may we cover the sins of others like you have covered ours out of love. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.